0: Welcome to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. Thanks for joining us today. We're really believing that you'll benefit from the message that you're about to hear. A big thank you to those of you who share our podcast on social media. And thanks for rating and reviewing us on iTunes. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au. Well, hello. How are you all? That's good. Well, you know, if I'm up yet, you've got to buckle your seatbelt. Um, Well, some of us are a bit happier than others, uh, like Nick, because if you follow them, uh, we've got the best news that we're going to have, not we, him and Kate, are going to have a little boy they announced it, so I think that's wonderful, congratulations. So in the last few weeks, we've been in a series of, he said, so I will And we've heard some of the things that Jesus said. Jesus said, go. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, get out the grave. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Jesus said, do not worry. And if you need a recap on those messages, I invite you to catch up on our YouTube or our podcast. But as we've gone through some of these things that Jesus said, what we observe is Jesus unveiling his kingdom, his culture, his way on earth. And at some point, Jesus is going to say something that will deeply challenge us. And today, it may be that day. Because Jesus said, and when you stand praying if you hold anything against anyone forgive them mark 11:25 forgiveness is a difficult subject and fully loaded in its complexity there are truly evil wrongs but there are also subjective feelings of offense did you sin or do something against me Or did I misunderstand because I was being super sensitive that day? What was going on for both of us? And even then, when people are trying to figure it out, it can lead to more disagreements and anger. Instead, Jesus simply says this, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. And on that note, let's pray. Father, in your presence today, we ask that your enormous redeeming love for us is tangibly felt, that we hear only what you want to speak to us personally. And today, Lord, that in this place, when we hear you speak, that we will not harden our hearts. Lord, that if we are in any way held captive by unforgiveness, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, the chains will break off And we'll step into a journey of forgiveness with you. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus, amen. Now, if you've been a Christian for a minute, you'll realize that God's kingdom, his culture, the way we are to operate in this world is in many respects counterculture. What many regard as societal norm is often the indirect opposition to the way of Jesus. That means if someone offends you or does something grievously wrong towards you, the world is okay to act out in vengeance or to stonewall or to reject people or to ghost them or cancel them. But that is not what Jesus asked us to do. The way of Jesus is costly. And if you've been a human for a minute, you realize that you're going to get offended and hurt because horrific things happen because evil is prevalent and people can be evil or foolish or just human in their sinfulness. And we've also got our stuff to deal with that we've picked up along the way. So one minute we can be singing, let everything that have breath praise the Lord, or I can buy myself flowers, write my name in the sand, depending on what your, your jam is, right? And by the way, the latter song, great l- music, but the lyrics, mm, Miley, holding my own hand is no fun at all. So we live in this dichotomy of two kingdoms, the world and the kingdom of God. And I've said this before, that the world we live in, with the volumes and the kind of information we have access to, doesn't always work in our favor. One, it makes us lazy, because it's easier to listen to what someone else has said and regurgitate that, versus taking time to seek God to consistently spend time with him. In other words, not living off someone else's revelation, but living in a rhythm of hearing God for yourself. And we may at times experience this void where we feel far from God, but he hasn't gone anywhere. God is present to be diligently sought and as the writer of Hebrews encourages us to do in faith, and that God does reward those who earnestly seek him. Another downside to information overload is that it's producing a stream of secularism in the church, a way of life and thinking that rejects God's truth. And as we subtly adopt the world systems and thinking into our lives because we subject ourselves to, for example, I can hold my own hand. As innocent as these lyrics are and well-suited for a breakdown in relationship, these lyrics suggest a hyper-individualistic thinking where I don't need you, I can do this on my own, which is the opposite to kingdom thinking because God has created us for relationship with him and with others. So often, we swim in the mixed waters of Christian thinking and secular thinking. As disciples or apprentices of Jesus, the affection of our heart is towards Jesus foremost, and we steer ourselves this way. As Charles Spurgeon said, visit many good books, but live in the Bible. Even so, it doesn't make us immune to the world. We live in this world and we partner with God in his purposes despite the increase of evil. Paul warned Timothy that hard times will come and he goes on to list what evil people uh, would be doing in community and this was in his day. Amongst others, he mentions, and they will be without love and unforgiving. And he ends this warning with, they will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. This is a reality. We can go through the religious motions. We can attend church or youth, tick a few boxes, look Pious, but are we invoking the power and glory of God that is able to change our lives and reflect his image? And this includes humongous, often costly act of forgiveness. And I stand before you today admitting that forgiveness is not an easy road for me personally. I seriously struggle to forgive people who are continually ugly towards me. There we go. God has acknowledged that. <laughs> I swim in the murky waters of forgive them, love your enemies, and they can just go get knotted. Anyone with me here today? Yet Jesus calls us to a higher way of living. And not for a moment am I suggesting that the atrocities that people have experienced when they suffer violence or sexual abuse or deep betrayal can be resolved with a one, two, three, forgive. This often requires a long path of painful processing with many difficult hours of therapy, and it becomes part of our healing journey. As Tim Keller states, forgiveness is not a contradiction to the pursuit of justice. Yet, our journey as Christ followers begins with Jesus' sober command, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. Because this is the first step in the act of forgiveness, to forgive a person before God. It starts with our heart. It's between you and God. What David Powelson, who was a Christian counselor and educator, refers to as attitudinal forgiveness. We honor God first. We forgive because God has forgiven us So forgiveness becomes a conscious choice that knows what happened was wrong and it doesn't make any excuses for it. This is not trying to make someone who has suffered more burdened. It is to allow God to heal our broken hearts. The person who has wronged us is not present or part of this vertical conversation. If not, whether this person admits they did wrong or are guilty. And in the cases of evil, trying to speak to an evil person is really useful. Can you imagine someone trying to have a conversation with Hitler? And there are also situations where the person that's wrong with us has passed away, but we still harbor unforgiveness towards them, which keeps us imprisoned. And Jesus came to set the captives free. And this is what the gospel does. The way of Jesus, it challenges this world with God's love and mercy. We hand it over to God who enacts both love and justice. Paulson, who's well-versed in years of sitting with people in their pain, says that forgiveness is granted before it is felt. If you want to feel it, you'll never grant it. It is God who empowers us with the ability to forgive people. And Jesus exampleed this on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Asking God for mercy and grace for those who tortured and killed him. It's what Stephen exampled as he was being stoned to death. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. There was no reconciliation for Stephen against his perpetrators, but his heart was free with God. And this is the stage of forgiveness, the attitude of our heart before God that must happen for all of us. This is what Jesus says, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. It doesn't mean reconciliation or that you will forget the harm. But what you are doing is not allowing harm to control you, making you resentful or embittered or hateful. You deal with the hate in your heart. And if you don't, it will ravage you, and you may end up being the person that hurts others. Vengeance is not kingdom culture where we want the other person to suffer. When you forgive someone before the Lord, you are rejecting payback for the wrong that was done. You are not acting as if it never happened. You are relinquishing it to God, who is the one who will truly bring you healing. Every case is different. And in Dan Allender and Tremper Longman III's excellent book, Bold Love, And I would encourage you to read it if you're struggling with forgiveness because I couldn't possibly do justice to the depth that this book contains. But they discuss a kind of love modeled by Jesus that has nothing to do with manners. It's not about being nice or having an unconditional acceptance of what people do, but rather it shows us what it can look like when we see people through the eyes of Jesus and the significant life-changing impact we have when we love them God's way. They talk about not just loving normal sinners, but fools and evil people too. In the case of evil, and evil is complex to define, evil needs to be exposed or caught in the act and justed, pursued, Boundaries need to be put in place with clear consequences that are enforced. And there may be an opportunity, there may be, for the person to repent. But if the boundaries are violated or the person doesn't repent, the relationship is to be cut off because you should never put yourself in harm's way. We forgive people because our hearts have been reordered by God's forgiveness towards us. We have been transformed by Jesus' death on the cross for our sins because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, as Holly mentioned today. Jesus satisfied both justice and opened a way for God to forgive us. If we never forgive sinners, do we really understand that we are forgiven sinners? It's like thinking, I want mercy for me, but only justice for someone else. So we respond in forgiveness because God commands us. And he has covered our sin with his sacrificial grace towards us. But we also forgive to defeat evil. Romans 12:21: "Do not overcome. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome. Defeat evil with good. Evil is not to have the final word in your life where you stay bitter for years, which robs you of your joy, and if we seek vengeance. We are no different to them. When we don't forgive, evil wins. So hopefully, we are starting to understand that attitudinal forgiveness must happen. And it can occur without reconciliation or the other party being involved, which brings us to the second part in the act of forgiveness, which is referred to as transactional forgiveness, the horizontal dimension of forgiveness, dealing with people. And this is where our eyes get big because it is super hard. But this can only occur if we've done the first one. And transactional forgiveness happens within community to bring about change for the common good. Let's see what Jesus says about this process in Luke and Matthew. In Luke 17, 3-4, Jesus says, So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke him. And if they repent, forgive them. If they sin against you seven times in a day, like really, Jesus, how... and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. It's costly. So to clarify, Jesus is referring to people in community, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And the number of times we forgive someone is inconsequential. If they repent, you forgive them. Matthew goes into more detail in chapter 18. And it covers the process of confronting someone who has sinned against you. And if they don't listen, you take one or two with you. If they still don't listen, then you tell the church. And if they still don't listen, then you are to cut cut them off. But the heart of this uh, passage in Matthew 18 and this process of church discipline is to give people the opportunity to repent and possibly for restoration to occur. Because Jesus says, if he listens to you, you have won your brother. We forgive someone their sin against us to bring about change for the common good. How could we possibly be okay with someone continually sinning against us or someone else? You don't want other people to experience the harm or hurt you have. You should want the offender to repent for their sake and for the sake of others who may also get hurt. This is where the church has to get better at approaching someone who we believe is sinning against us. Get that conversation started, even if you... um, even if you get it wrong, and then you get on a bus that they've never boarded, and let's be real, yeah, it doesn't always go well, as we see in this passage. Because if we choose to go on the route of unconditional acceptance, or you're not going to address it, or sweep it under the carpet because it's too hard, guilty, guilty, guilty. and we revert just to being nice Christians, what we are allowing is a repeated pattern of offence and harm to us and others. As the people who are God's image bearers in this world, we should desire to pursue change that can bring reconciliation. But that's not a certainty because it takes to but it is on us to address it. Jesus tells us that it's always our move when there is a breakdown in relationship and community. Matthew 5, he says, if your brother has something against you, go to him. And in Matthew 18, he says, if you have something against your brother, go to him. So we are to go irrespective doesn't matter who started it. As a Christ follower, it is our responsibility to attempt to seek reconciliation for the common good. This was the new commandment that Jesus gave. So now I'm giving a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are mine. God's kingdom looks different. Forgiveness may be hard to do, but God empowers us to forgive people, and it frees us from the bondage of bitterness. And even when the person does not repent, we are free because we've engaged with God about it. If a person is repentant but involves a breaking trust, it doesn't mean you've just got to start immediately trusting them again. They would have to faithfully earn your trust again. You know, my dad was an abusive alcoholic, and our our childhood was interesting. We were constantly living in an environment of fear. We just didn't know what was going to happen next, and... My mom suffered terrible abuse. We escaped many of the things because she protected us. But it was traumatizing, so you can imagine what I would have to have to reconcile and deal with. And to be frank, there are still some responses that I have today that are symptomatic of my childhood. For example, I'm completely intolerant to any form of ing- aggression. And I'll call it out with firm boundaries and consequences. But when I surrendered my life to Jesus, God particularly honed in on forgiving our father. And I have to say that what happened in my heart was completely supernatural. God did a a miraculous healing in my heart where it concerned my dad. And when it happened, I started seeing my dad in a completely different light. You know, my dad never changed. He never said sorry to me or to my brothers or to my mother. But I changed. And I had this increasing desire for my dad to know the love and mercy of Jesus like I had. And I believe my dad confessed his sins to God and gave his life to Jesus before he passed away. I forgave my dad before God, but not everyone did or dealt with the hurt that he had caused them, which has had serious repercussions repercussions for their life. But I've also learned that this is not the outcome for all situations. I have struggled to forgive others in a different set of circumstances. So we can ask ourselves, is forgiveness a once-off or a process? And, and what do I do with a resentment that seems to come out of nowhere, even when I've taken steps to forgive someone. And this is where Tim Keller says that forgiveness is granted before you feel it. It can be a miraculous work like it was with my dad, but it's often a process and consistent commitment from our side to apply three practical principles in dealing with the feelings of resentment. One, don't constantly bring up the sin to the offender. We're talking about in community. Don't constantly bring up the sin to others, harming their reputation or relationship with others. And don't keep reminding yourself of the sin. Don't keep the playback on repeat and how difficult is that? Rick, uh, Rich Velodus would say that forgiveness is not medicine that heals past hurt and inoculates us from, uh, from feeling... New, it doesn't inoculate us from feeling new waves of it. We have to make a concerted effort to keep us bringing back to what Jesus requires of us to forgive people. And sometimes it will be completely supernatural... And other times, it will be a process. Because if we don't deal with it, with the resentment that starts building up and forms bitterness, Lisa Turkis says resentment turns into bitterness, and it becomes like liquid acid seeping into every part of us and corrupting all it touches. And at first, you're not going to feel very forgiving. And you're going to be angry and you're going to be hurt, and you're going to feel all the feels that come with being hurt or offended, that's okay. But if you keep checking yourself and the commitment that you've made to forgive them before God, remember remembering that you too are a sinner living by his grace, you'll start feeling the forgiveness you have granted. When we stop focusing on what has been done to us and start focusing on what Jesus has done for us, it unlocks mercy in our heart because mercy towards us should produce mercy towards others, which is not in the case. the parable that Jesus uses to answer Peter's question of how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me as many as seven times trust Peter he's always the one that's got something to say but Peter would have known that um, the the consensus amongst rabbis was you forgive someone three times and if they go forth no deal so he's like, okay, I think seven sounds like a good amount, a little, just a little bit more than double. But Jesus replies 70 times seven and goes on to give the scenario that the kingdom of heaven, God's culture is like a king who wanted to settle his accounts with his servants. And there was a particular servant, who owed him an astronomical amount, an amount he couldn't possibly pay back. So this master ordered the servant, his family, and all his possessions to be sold to pay back the debt. But the servant fell before him and pleaded with him to be patient with him, and the master had compassion on his servant, released him, and forgave him. Now that forgiven servant went out, saw another fellow servant, who owned him a minuscule amount in comparison, and he starts choking him and saying, pay it back. And the servant pleaded with him, the same way he had pleaded with his master, and this forgiven servant had him thrown in jail until he could pay what he owed. But other servants saw what happened and they were extremely distressed and they went and told the master what they had seen. And the master summons the servant and says this to him, shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servants as I had mercy on on you? And he handed him over and then Jesus says, so also will my heavenly father do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. This parable is showing that God is the king and we have a debt that we couldn't possibly repay. Yet when we repent, he mercifully forgives us and the expectation is that we also forgive others, forgive others because we have been forgiven. True freedom is when we allow the grace we've been given to flow through us to others. And as God's people in community, we are not to give up on one another. We are to, to keep forgiving and repenting and where possible, repair relationships, and in doing that, we become the light of the world that extinguishes darkness. I've learned that forgiving people before God, I've freed myself to move on, trusting God to heal the broken places of my heart. So what others have done to me doesn't hold me ransom. I've trusted God to execute justice on my behalf when it hasn't been in my hands to do. Forgiveness is not an easy journey, but when you choose to forgive, it becomes powerful because it frees you. And when people... Have been evil, or careless, or foolish, or human with you, God is gentle, patient, comforting, and loving towards you. And in His care, He gives you a crown. Of beauty for your ashes. Amen? Amen. Can we stand as the worship team? Come. Now I know that for some of us that have been through things that really we don't even understand How some of the things can happen, what they've happened to us. And perhaps in this place, this morning, God has made an appointment with you. Perhaps if you're watching online, wherever you are, God wants to say to you, I'm so sorry. So sorry that this has happened to you. Will you trust your heart in me? That perhaps this morning the chains that have kept you in bondage because of what other people have done to them, to you, that perhaps this morning he's saying to you, I want to break them. Jehovah Rapha, a healer. And perhaps this morning you've you've held on to a few things that people in community have done, and I'm certainly guilty of that. Like I always say to Alfred, I I wonder why I take it so personally. And then I, I do press play, repeat. But perhaps this morning God wants to say to you and to me don't make your peace with me but if it is your fellow brother and sister go to them and you know what sometimes it's happened to me a few times sometimes I honestly don't know what people are smoking because they'll get offended and and you didn't mean to offend them but you know what as examples of Jesus and his image bearers, it doesn't matter. You still receive it in humility, and you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I had no idea I'd hurt you. Please forgive me. And what does Jesus say that if a person says, forgive me, you forgive them? So I wonder to this place where we can just bow our heads and let's, as the worship team, sing. And the song that we're reminded of God and his rightful place. Let those who have been forgiven, one of the lyrics says, those that have been redeemed, let God speak to your heart. Let those chains be broken. God doesn't want us to walk bound. He wants us to live freely, and let's become... These people they are able to approach someone that has hurt us. And as we've seen this morning, it's okay if they don't repent. As long as your heart is good with God. Amen. Thank you for listening to River's Edge Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, please visit riversedgechurch.com.au.